Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. My guest today is Michelle Ashby. Michelle is the CEO and founder of Ace LLC, Ashby Consulting Enterprises. Her focus is on educating, supporting, and teaching women how to attain corporate board positions through the Ace Board Certification. Ms. Ashby has a diverse background, which includes 30 years as a gold specialist, analyst, financial expert, independent corporate director, and successful entrepreneur. She was recently awarded one of the top 25 most powerful women in business in Colorado for her work in training 1,000 women to get on corporate boards. Michelle Ashby and Robert discussed the need for women to be at the table, to have a voice, to speak into the leadership of America's corporations. The goal of empowering women and helping them step into leadership is exciting. We hope our platform will continue to be a voice for lifting up those who have been oppressed, who have lost their voice, and feel disempowered. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just uh, excited, and we've had a great conversation already leading up to this. So the audience missed out on a bunch of cool stuff, but uh, we'll see what we can share with them. I'm here for you, and I have lots of stories. So we'll see where we'll, we'll see where this goes. All right, Michelle, just tell us your own entrepreneurial journey and what led you to to jump ship and take responsibility for your own life. Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I think I was born an entrepreneur because I remember growing up and thinking, if I could find a need and fill it, I'm going to build a company. You know, I'm going to build something. So, um, so I come from that a long time ago. But I started out a stockbroker, which you might not think is a uh, an entrepreneur, but you're really you're independent. You're like on commission twenty four seven, and you are your own. You either make it or break it, right? And I was a, a penny stockbroker here in Denver years ago, which a lot of people may not even know what that's about. <laughs> but it was uh, it was the wild west of the stock market. I can tell you that. And I didn't work for a big corporation. I worked for small companies. Um, became a mining analyst, so I jumped into being a specialist in gold mining. And then I started a trade association for the gold mining industry, and I ran that for 18 years. And I left that. So here's where I jumped off the bridge. Right, I left that job, which was a cushy job because I had a great salary. I traveled the world. My Rolodex was made up of the CEOs of all the publicly traded gold mining companies in the world and their largest institutional investors. And yet I wasn't happy, but I, I wasn't as happy as I thought I could be, but it wasn't really about my happiness. It was attached to my personal life. And here was my motivation. Um, during that time, while I was there, those 18 years, I was raising two teenage, two, two kids by myself. For 14 years, I was a single mom. And my daughter um, was diagnosed with cancer when she was 18 in 1998. Ouch. It was a very rare type of cancer. She fought for 16 months. And unfortunately, she passed mm. away when she was 19. And I started a, a nonprofit to raise money for the research for the type of cancer she had called Ewing sarcoma. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm a successful business person. I can raise a million dollars for research. This can't be that hard. But let me tell you, nonprofits is a lot different than for profit when we're running our businesses. It is harder to raise money. So fast forward a few years. What I recognized was if I made a lot more money, I could give bit more away. I could write bigger checks uh, myself, you know, and so. I left that cushy job and, and started over in the basement of my house with a computer and a filing cabinet. And my first year revenues were over $2 million. And there were only three of us. And 
I, you know, it wasn't an overnight success. I don't want to lead people on, but I had built this incredible reputation and rep Rolodex and people were supporting me in the mining industry and saying, Hey, if you took what you built for these companies, which I was bringing a lot of capital to their projects and did it over here in oil and gas, we'll support you. We'll pay you a lot of money to do that. And I said, okay. So I went into oil and gas. I went into base metals. I went into clean tech even. And uh, that's how I ended up making over $2 million. I went global and took my, my model and went to Africa. I went to the Middle East. And um, I was working with all the biggest bankers in Europe and in London and just expanded like I blew the market, you know, uh, blew, blew the walls off. Um, and, and so that was, that was my claim to fame. And I was able to write bigger checks. We raised a million dollars over time in the foundation and we did fund research it, at the tune of over a million dollars and have two clinical trials that are going on right now. One of them is in phase two in the United States for this particular disease. So check the box on that. So it's an odd way to be motivated, but I can tell you from a woman's standpoint that it is difficult sometimes for us to put a high number of value on what we are, who, what, you know, what we do and to feel like we deserve it. That's where I was. My never, my, you know, I hadn't been in a family where my parents made a lot of money. I made, you know, I had made more money than anyone. And then I had to deal with that, you know, like, uh Oh, like, what if I screw this up? So, so that was, that was a big jump for me. And I had that business for eight years and closed it because the resource markets went south. And frankly, um, a competitor came in and took me out. Um, uh, and that was pretty brutal. I have, like I said, I have lots of stories. So that led me eventually, I, I've started sitting on corporate boards in 2005. And that led me to get that experience. And now I have a company where I train other women to get on corporate boards with a goal of training a thousand women. And I do everything I can to help my ladies to get on boards. And I'm talking about paying boards, not nonprofit. I want them to get compensated for what they do. So I'm going to stop there. Well, first of all, sorry for your loss. Thank you. And I'm excited that you turned your loss into your why and, and turned it into a driver. And you recognize something fundamental about money and, and our ability to make money and use money that it's much harder for a nonprofit to raise money, but a corporation can make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And when it makes a ton of money and it doesn't have a lot of overhead, it can give a ton away. And so mm -hmm. love that make more, give more, because there's there's the power of entrepreneurship. I believe entrepreneurs are going to save the world because of people like you and because of of the power that entrepreneurship has. The second piece that you mentioned is women feeling worthy. And, and this is an area that my wife is, is stepping into right now and, and trying to help women step out of the expected roles of, of mom, of secretary, of support, of help, of sacrificing everything that they want for themselves for the, all the people around them and, mm -hmm. and, and taking the back seat of support and now stepping into a lead role and saying, wait, I can do this and I can be worthy of this. And, and so increasing their self-worth, increasing their, their power and, and of course, increasing their impact and, and making a huge difference in the world. And so I love that you've stepped into that. And of course you shared a mindset shift that's that's really powerful that that you had to make right because based on your family experience based on your history looking back in your mind you weren't worthy of that level of success what helped you feel worthy and step into that new place I think it was a witnessing um, the success and the dollars that the men were making around me because you've got to, you know, kind of look at I have three decades of experience in mining and finance, and I was almost always the only woman in the room. And it was assumed that we were all on the same page. And so I'm working with guys that are making, you know, millions a year in their salary, or they have millions of stock options that are 
um, just given to them at that level. And so it's that kind of thing like, wait a second, why are they making that kind of money? And I'm not being compensated in the same in the same way. I don't I, if I had more control over my own destiny, I believe that I am at the same, you know, I have the same capacity to attract millions of dollars. So that was kind of in the back of my mind anyway, um, along the way. But it took this personal tragedy to kick me in the butt, frankly, and get me off the mark and quit whining about it and do something about it. It's pretty scary to start over and, you know, take a big leap like that and, um, you know, not know what you're, what you, I had no idea that I was going to have that kind of a success going into it. So those, those, that first, you know, year was pretty scary and I worked a ton of hours. I mean, I would be up almost all night long and um, I had clients all over the world. So I'd be talking to people in Australia and they'd be like, wait a second, what time is it there? And I'd be like three o'clock in the morning. And they're like, what are you doing up? I'm like, I'm working. I want you to come to my conference. I want you to pay me money to come and meet all my investors. And I want you to sign up. And they'd be like, okay, I'm signing up because you are, you know, you are the kind of person I want to work with. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very exciting. So you mentioned something really important that seems to be coming up in, in more and more shows is, is the assumption that everybody in the room is is at the same level and of course everybody in the room is at the same value right because they're sitting in the room mm -hmm. and yet i mean i think one of the one of the biggest challenges in our culture is we've been taught not to talk about money right not to talk about our salary not to talk about our interest rates not to talk about uh -huh. the decisions we're making around money and i think that's isolating the people that aren't talking about money so many of these issues that are coming out right now of equality and, and integrity in all of these things go away if we talk about money. <laughs> because, because if you're sitting in the same room and that person says, well, I'm making 150,000 and wait a minute, I'm only getting 75,000. How's that, right? And, and if there's room to talk about it, then, then there's room to say, wait a minute, this needs to change. <laughs> and yeah. And so I, I'm a yeah. big encourager of talking about money, teaching our kids to talk about money. For some reason, I don't know if it's generational, but but we were told not to talk about money and sex. And it's like, wait a minute, why aren't we talking about the two coolest things <laughs> in our in our lives? And and it's empowering to help people talk about money, talk about how they're using it, how they're how they're putting it to work, what fees they're paying, what what interest rates they're paying, and make the conversations about money more, I mean, just more normal, easy right. to have. And right. that'll change marriages because marriages have been told they can't talk about money and then they go into marriage and they're not talking about money and sex. And no wonder we've got a 50% divorce rate in this country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. businesses too need to talk about money. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've had the opportunity to be in a couple multimillionaire rooms where masterminds, and you know what millionaires do? <laughs> They talk about money. They talk about the deals. They talk about what they're doing with their money, how they're using it, how they're putting it to work. Whoo, we need to be able to talk about money. Yeah, it's education. It really is. And it's, um, I'm a big proponent of exactly what you're saying in my whole career. I, you know, as in finance, I was managing people's money as a stockbroker. So I was constantly, you know, dealing with that. Then I'm bringing money to the companies, you know, attracting capital to them. So we're talking, you know, huge amounts of money in that in that particular case. And personally, my financial, um, you know, situation went up and down and up and down. And and I had to learn myself a lot about how, you know, first of all, what do I how do I want to be with my money? Right. My parents were depression. Um, people my dad was in world war ii he was a you know world war ii veteran they were very conservative i was raised to if you want it you go earn money and you can pay for it yourself kind of thing i've worked since i was 12 years old i get the connection between the value of ha having a job and getting paid for it you know that type of thing and yet there's a bigger conversation that you're mentioning so i did have a financial consulting business for a few years where my husband and I were, were, were working with couples to help them 
uh, because we had gone through the Dave Ramsey program and got financially free and debt free. And like my, our credit score was zero, zero, zero. We didn't have credit cards. We didn't know any money on a mortgage. I mean, everything was paid for hundred percent. We paid cash for our cars, all that kind of thing. I'm the nerd and he's the free spirit. So we were a great couple to teach others, talk to others because some, you know, a lot of people wouldn't relate to me, but they would listen to him. And he, and he would explain like, you know, when she starts talking about money, I'm just like, I, I get five minutes and then I'm, I'm gone. Um, and at the same time, I really enjoy our lifestyle. And these are the things that, that, you know, we've incorporated in our relationship with money and that work for me. And I'm totally happy. And I don't care if she makes more than I do, or I make more than she does. I don't have, we don't have dollar signs on our face, you know, on our forehead. Anyway, I'm totally with you on that. And it is super important. And I also want to mention too, for people that um, what I've found is that our financial situation has changed and as we go into the retirement phase of our lives, my husband just retired. So the strategies for us have shifted a little bit more into making sure we retain, um, you know, our money in investments in the bank and not um, and not pay cash for these big items anymore because we're looking at, you know, a potential lot more expenses with limited income eventually, you know, or a fixed income. So, so anyway, that I think there are different strategies for where you are and the conversation is really, really important. Maybe the communication pieces, what you're, you know, alluding to is like, we have to talk about these things for sure. Well, and the communication piece is one. I think the other is, is recognizing that, that money's a tool. It's not the end game. And for so much of so many people you've been taught, well, you know, you're going to get paid this much for this much work and you're exchanging work for dollars. And the dollars became the end game for so many people yeah. rather than what you can do with the dollars. And, mm -hmm. and of course, you recognized so early on that, you know what, I can I can do so much more with these dollars if I'm earning them myself. <laughs> and yeah. I'm putting those dollars to work for this nonprofit rather than begging to write to raise money for this nonprofit. And it shifts, it shifts the power of money likes to move. Money likes to be put to work. Money, money doesn't like being stagnant and stuck under a mattress. It's, it's really not designed to be hoarded. It's designed to be put to work. And even yeah. if it's just put to work in a bank earning interest, it's doing a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. It might not be working very hard there. And right now, most of the money is not working as hard as it used to. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the truth is it still likes to work and, and using it as a tool. And yet the tool can't be the end game. The money can't be the motivator. The money can't be the driver. The money can't be the, the thing tied to your heart. And yet it's interconnected in all of that. And that's what challenges the conversation for so many, I mm -hmm. think, is yeah. that, that, that they're tied to the money instead of to the value and, and what the money can do. Right. And, and you bring up the point of money and you're kind of alluding into this place of power. So power and money are together. And this is why I train women to get on corporate boards. We have about 20% of our boards in North America are female right now. And that means 80% are, are almost all white males, right? And that's fine. I'm living a great lifestyle. And, you know, I just am really a proponent of let's get to parity. Women are 50% of the population. We should be 50% of leadership, meaning in the boardroom. I, you said at one point, you think entrepreneurs are, are, are going to change the world. Well, I'll tell you, if we can get in the boardroom, we can really change the world. The reason is that's where the power and the money are. This is where the decisions are made for every budget, for all the cutting of personnel or adding of personnel for, you know, let's do $100 million in innovation or we need to allocate, you know, um, $10 million over here for a green energy project. Whatever the, the whatever those decisions are, they are made, those big decisions are made at the very, very top. And I believe that there are voices missing from the conversation and they're women, they're female voices and minorities too, actually. Um, and so I believe that when we get to parity, we'll have a better world. I have a pretty good world right now. The guys are doing a, a pretty good job and I'm not, ma I'm not male bashing at all. In fact, I, my the gentleman that mentored me throughout my career treated me like 
like a queen, basically. I was, I didn't have any complaints at all. And I think they did a pretty good job of training me. I'm actually a 63 year old white guy in a woman's body. I think like them. <laughs> Does your husband know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think like them, I succeed like them. I can speak the language. I love it. I can swim in the water with all the sharks and I'm good to go. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, and so I know that there are other women like me who have the leadership capability to sit at the table and to bring that value to so, Absolutely. yeah. So tying that, that together with what you're talking about money and and how powerful it is and what we can where we can actually make a difference. So even if we're not earning all the money, if we can get ourselves those seats at the board table and help make those decisions, I think we, we then can affect things in a pretty big way. Oh, huge fan. Um, having come from the nonprofit uh faith-based world, I agree wholeheartedly that there are voices missing from the table. Mm -hmm. And and we're, we've got some pretty lame excuses for, for why those voices aren't at the table. Yeah. And, and a corporate is no different. Although corporates at least have, you know, we have women running amazing companies that as CEOs and, and incredible positions, you know, leading companies, which proves that they're very capable. <laughs> they're equally capable, right? We, everybody that lives within this country recognizes that they're equally capable, you know, and, and we are one of the few, you know, Western nations that hasn't had a woman leader, although we're, we're much closer now than we've been. And so I think, you know, that recognition of parity, that the recognition of we're 50% of the population, we should be 50% of the boards uh, and have those voices. And, and I agree that those voices need to be at the table and it needs to, that the shift needs to continue um, because those voices have important things to say and, and, and would, will only make it better. <laughs> they will only make it better. And I don't know why there's a fear that they'll make it worse. I don't know what that, how that even could be a consideration. Yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, well, I've been in the room, as I said, with it, and it's typically, um, I don't know that I can say that that's the, the consensus with people. It's more about the good old boy network where we sit around the table and go, we need another director who has X, you know, background. Who do you know? And even for me, I would be like, well, I know Tom or I know, you know, Jerry, because <laughs> my network were all males. They, I have very few women that, at that point in time that were in my network that I could refer because I'm not going to refer somebody unless I know them, you know? And, um, and so and I think I, that's the challenge that that's been the challenge yes, with minorities yes, and with yes. is getting, getting their education to the same level, getting their experience to the same level. And now we're chasing our tail again because now we've got, wow, we got all the education, but how do we get the experience yeah. if we're not going to let them in the room? And so they don't have yeah. experience to get in the room. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So those are the barriers to entry, right? So I've interviewed now at the over that, I mean, thousands of women, like what, why aren't there? So I started this whole thing by interviewing women. So for like 18 months, I talked to 200 women. I said, why aren't there more women on boards? Why aren't you on a board? And tell me about your career. And what I learned from that process was I was writing these notes and I had a file and I literally labeled it super women. And I kept, you know, putting their notes in this file. I had no idea what I was going to do with it, frankly. But I recognized that they, they had incredible skills, but they didn't understand what it was to be on a board, get in the boardroom, that they could get paid while they're doing this work, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like, why don't they know this? I know this. Why don't they know this? And that's where I recognized this gap. So remember, we started out and you said, how did you, when did you figure out you were an entrepreneur? And I had this young thing that would be like, if I can find a need, I can fill it. I'm going to go do that. And that's the, I think one of the keys for entrepreneurs, if, and it really turns on your, you know, your burners, right? When you find something that, that really people can use and they are, you know, they're like coming for it and you're like, woo, this is really great. And Anyway, that's that was the pro the process was to figure that out. And and so here's what I say is we, I met women who were managing projects or managing people or budgets that were huge within corporations 
They didn't get the title and they didn't get the compensation because they're women. They have male counterparts who are doing pretty much the same thing, maybe even lower than them, who have the title and who have the money. So this is the barrier to entry. So when I see board, um, you know, descriptions coming through, I'm looking for a C-suite executive who has, you know, for da-da-da, I go, wait a second, give me the skills and experience and I'll give you a woman who has the skills and experience. And because she's a woman, she didn't get the title, she didn't get the C before her title, and she didn't get the same compensation. So I want you to break it down so that we can look at it from the standpoint of equal skills and experience. And now I can bring you a lot more candidates. Does that well, make sense? So, so powerful. Well, I love the fact that you're working both sides of the table, that you're going to the corporations and you're saying, can yeah. I help you with your descriptions? Because the description is what's eliminating the potential. Mm -hmm. And then you're also going to the women and saying, I want to elevate your potential and, and help it be recognized. And, and so you're you're elevating both sides of the table to to make this possible rather than bashing one side of the table and, and just mm -hmm. you know, playing the victim. You're solving the problem, which, of course, is my favorite entrepreneurial reality. Right. Is find a problem, solve a problem, start a business. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what you're doing. And, and of course, it's something that has such huge impact in the world and can make such a huge difference, which is why entrepreneurs will save the world. And mm -hmm. even though you're impacting corporations, you, you're an entrepreneur that's creating this, this huge impact within corporations and empowering women in the process, which is even more exciting. And so thank you for, for doing that and, and for taking on something that, that has to have a lot of walls. I mean, you're pushing against tradition. <laughs> Yeah, that's in my nature, though. If, it, if you got to know me, you'd be like, yeah, that's her. Like, what's she up to now? Um, but I also want to applaud you and just recognize you as what I call a champion. Um, and the champion can be man or woman. Um, uh, champion is someone who, you know, says good things about you to your face um, so, and also says good things about you when they're standing next to you at a networking event and introducing you to someone you should know. And, you know, really bringing value and also someone who puts your name in the hat when you're not in the room and the question comes up of who do you know? So I, I applaud you. I thank you for being a champion for uh, for women, for minorities. And, you know, we need we need the voices of uh, of white men who are successful to talk to each other and say, wait a second, this is you know, this is going to be really good for everybody. And, you know. And uh, it's okay. There's there are qualified women out there, so let's just cool our jets a little bit and and open the doors a little wider and see what we can come up with. You might be surprised. Well, I appreciate you applauding me. My this this add value to life means life, right? All of us are well. In my mind, we're born as children of God, and so every single one, whether no matter what category you want to separate them in, God doesn't. And so I'm trying to learn not to as well and apply that to my life because I recognize after a few years of maturity, when we categorize humans and we put humans in, in, in different boxes and then we decide one box is more valuable than another, these are the reasons why all the terrible human travesties exist in the world. Racism, yeah. sexism, all of the isms, wars, and hate, and and all of those things are because we're separating humans from other humans and deciding which ones are more valuable based on some category. Right. And I know. Yeah. And it's simply not true. All the way down to our prisoners and people in jail, they're the same human beings. They deserve the same human value that each one of us has. It's not our performance that makes us valuable. It's not our it's it's our humanity and all of us should be in this together instead of in this against each other and so i applaud this because obviously your focus is corporate and everything else but it it applies across the board mm -hmm. in in humanity if each one of us recognizes that wait each one of us is human we're all in this together we can change the world with an attitude shift mm -hmm. and, and yeah. make make an impact. And so my goal is to continue adding value to human lives, all human lives, and and elevating human life to the place where it belongs as 
as the lead, <laughs> the lead animal on this planet. <laughs> it's our planet. It's our responsibility. And we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. So we should be helping each other instead of attacking each other. Right. Beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that passion and for your mission. It's it's clear that you are committed to it and you believe it and you're spreading it. So you are making that difference. Thank you. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon. Or you can order a personalized signed copy at Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. All right. So you mentioned all the way back at the beginning that your network, when you jumped ship, your network supported you. And, and so let's talk about the value of network and connection and how important it is to to keep building connections and and adding value to those connections. Yes, it it I was out for my run this morning and I got to say it may be impressive but I haven't run for years and I um I've just recently uh be, be, been able to rec- you know get my own physicality back because I've had some physical issues. So I'm jumping back in in a hundred force. So I'm running around the park and it reminded me of this dear friend of mine. So I want to bring her into the conversation. Um, Her name is Essie Garrett. She was a world-class ultra athlete. And I was introduced to her through another friend that was an athlete and runner and wanted to get into marathons. And she said, I have this friend that I really want to run with. And why don't you come along with us? So I went along with her and after about a month of running, we would meet three or four mornings a week, City Park. I run at City Park early in the morning at 5 a.m. We would meet and uh, run for an hour, hour and a half kind of thing, all three of us together. And I'm just there, you know, kind of listening because they're they're like professionals to me at that point in time. And my friend who brought me in to meet Essie injured herself. So that took her out and that left me with Essie. It turns out I ended up being her running partner for four years. And Essie was 20 years my senior at that point in time. She was a missionary um, in a uh, in a group called, um, and I can't remember what it's called now, but, but from back east. And so everything she did was for a purpose. She was a teacher at a community college. So she had summers off and she would always create these runs that were fundraisers. So she always did them for, you know, it'd be for Alzheimer's or HIV, you know, HIV AIDS or something like for AIDS. She ran one year, she ran from Atlanta to Denver. Yeah. Or San Francisco to Denver. And I would meet her at the Colorado border and run in with her from the Colorado border. So I did the wimpy stuff. That's a long ways. (laughs) It is. Every year we would do um, a a 48 hour run around the Capitol downtown uh, for homeless on Thanksgiving. So we would start at 4 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning and run until 4 a.m. on Saturday. And we got tons of press and we raised a lot of money because people are thinking about what they're thankful for at that point in in the you know year. And they're looking at us like those people are crazy. We have to give them money. Why are they doing this? Right. <laughs> um, so I was thinking she was such an amazing mentor to me. And she was um, actually half African-American and half Native American. She had dreads down, braided dreads down to her knees and always wore black because she wanted to, you know, camouflage herself when she was running at night and stuff like that. We She did come up with the craziest things. We would always did these runs, you know, with a purpose. So, but what she taught me and what I was able to transfer over to my work life was, were a lot of very valuable lessons, you know, um, which were, um, around patience, taking care of yourself, um, pacing yourself, being able to go, you know, the distance. If you go out of the gate, like really fast, you're going to die on the vine. You're not going to make it to the end of, if you're 48 hour run, not going to happen. Train yourself. So it takes practice, right? Lots of practice. You have to go out and try things and do them over and over and over again. As entrepreneurs, it's easy to get tired you're on, you know, you're lonely, you're by yourself, you know, and, and, and it's like, 
what if this doesn't work? There's all those negative things in your mind that can pop up and get in your way. Those limiting, you know, beliefs that we have about ourselves and whether or not we can succeed. Um, and so I, I, I have used those skills that she taught me and I became an ultra business person. Mm. And I, I just transferred those over. How, I want to win, right? And the winning for me is to get to the finish line. It isn't about being fast, right? So in 48 hours, the longest I've run is 135 miles. Wow. But Essie would run a minimum of 175. You know, it's okay. I was just happy I got it done and I finished right. and I was still walking, you know, at the end of that and um, that kind of thing. And then there's also the what am I doing this for? Is what it's not all about what am I getting out of it, but what am I doing this for in the bigger picture? And I, I, I want to share also, like in the mentor part of this, I had amazing gentlemen who mentored me throughout my career, which I mentioned before. And I'm talking about the very basics. Somebody who would invited me to a, a conference, a mining conference. It was 600 men. I was the only woman really that attended. This was in the 80s. And he said, Michelle, bring a stack of business cards. So I brought a big, big stack. I did. First networking event, he said, okay, we're going to go meet some people. He stood right next to me and he said, Michelle, shake their hand. This is Pete. Pete, my name is Michelle. Tell him who you are. Ask him who he is. Give him your card. Get his card. And we're moving on. So he literally taught me on site how to do this. And I've told that story to people. And some of the women are like, oh, that's so degrading. And I was like, are you kidding? I was so grateful that he took he picked me to do that with and taught me how to do this right instead of standing aside and judging me and not ever saying, oh, that was limp. Like, she's not going anywhere. He wanted me to succeed. And well, and just giving you mentors that, do. Yeah, giving you that extra encouragement because it's way too easy to sit in a room and get the drink and, and sit in the corner with your stack of business cards and wait for somebody else to come and, mm -hmm. and introduce themselves. To you. Right? And so many people can do that in a, in a networking room mm -hmm. rather than taking the initiative and and meeting people. And the fact that he's willing to help you do that the first or second and third time man, that sets you up for so much success. And it creates that level of expectation for yourself that, wow, this is easy, right? I can do this. And and now every other networking room you walk into, like, this is easy. I can do this. Yeah. Rather than sitting in a corner going, wow, this is scary. And it stays scary for how much longer <laughs> because you didn't step into it. And having a mentor help you step into it, that's exactly what mentors do. Yeah. And then, like you said, encouragement is all is so good. Like I had men that would say to me, Michelle, you have an advantage. You are the only woman. You're invited to more things than I am. I've got 12 other guys that look just like me with the same education, the same suit. And so I got to fight to get where you can get into. So you use that Ooh. to your advantage. Nice. I mean, I had great, great information. When I left my trade association and jumped off the cliff. I had a mentor and I have a mentor still in Canada. And he said, if you do oil and gas, I'll back you. So I went out and got the, you know, the bids for what it would cost for me to get contracts to put this together. And I went back to him. I said, here's the cost, 54,000. He goes, okay, here's the check. He gave me the check. We, ne we never had a handshake. We didn't have a contract. We didn't have nothing. He gave me the money, wired the money to me. I, within three months had, um, already raised more than double that. So I flew to Vancouver, cut a check and gave it back to him. He said, what's this? I go, that's your money back. He goes, what? I go, yeah. Like you gave me money to start and it's working. Here's your money back. And I learned later from other people, they were like, nobody ever gives him money back. What that does that, that's amazing that you did that. He will never forget you for that. Nice. And to this day, he is a very close friend mentor to me. So they can come in all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, keep your eyes open. You know, it, it can be really small things and be willing to learn mm -hmm. and be open. You know, if you say, I know everything about this and shut yourself off, you're going to miss a lot of, of, of opportunity. That's, that's my biggest challenge as a coach is reminding people the minute your brain says, I know this, it stops listening mm -hmm. and reminding people that 
you may have awareness of this and you may even know it, but if you're not putting it into practice, you still need to hear it. And so you've got to change that, change that voice in your head to say, Ooh, that's really good. Oh, I, oh, I remember that. Now what am I going to do with it? Right. And, and that can be a real challenge because you're right. The minute your brain thinks, you know, it, it, it's like moving on because the brain takes shortcuts. It's jumping to the next thing. The brain doesn't need to hear what it already knows. Like it, it it's like a little teenager Yeah, <laughs> in a lot of those areas. Yeah. You mentioned something really, really powerful in there that I love chatting about. And when it comes to mentors, when it comes to support, the power of borrowed belief, the power of, of somebody else coming alongside you and saying, I believe in you, you've got this, you can do this. So even when you don't believe in yourself, right, especially in the yes. beginning, when you don't believe in yourself and somebody writes you a $50,000 check because they believe in you, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Then you, then you're, you mean you stand a little bit taller, you step into the room saying, somebody's got me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Somebody's, somebody's got my back and, and they believe in me. In fact, now I, now I got to do twice as much effort because whoo, mm-hmm. this person's, this person's counting on me. They expect me to do this. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's so important for entrepreneurs, especially solopreneurs, right? That they need a partner. They need a spouse. They need a mentor. They need a coach. They need somebody that's, that says, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. They don't always need somebody to give them $50,000, although that might not hurt, but they need somebody that's, that's standing behind him saying, man, you got Mm -hmm. this. You're amazing. Go get him, Tiger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I have to, you know, admit that um, in working with these amazing, powerful women and helping them to get on boards that I do now is that's one of the, you know, things that I take a lot of pride in, in letting them know that I am their champion. I am there for them. I'm supporting them. I'm pushing them. You know, I'm not making it easy on them. And they always know they have someplace to come when they have a question, a challenge, you know, a breakdown, whatever it is. Um, And it's really surprising to me how many of these women have have isolated themselves because as they go, go, go up the ladder, they have fewer and fewer people that they can really talk to. And so this is like uh it's, it's like magic for them. It's like this love. Cause I love them. I do it in love. I'm like, I love you. I care about you and I'm going to do everything I can to help you. And hearing that is um, very, I think unusual for them. And what I feel is like such an amazing gift that I can give for them. Oh, so powerful. And, and I don't think, I don't think we use that superpower enough, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I I named my company what I did because we're we're built to encourage one another and build each other up, encourage one another and build each other up, and and it's a superpower. It's absolutely a superpower to encourage other human beings to just say, "Great job, thank you, I've got you, I I love mm-hmm. you," like mm-hmm. like those positive affirmations of, of building each other up and so much in the world is this drama and knock them down and knock them out and get them out of my way. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. We we absolutely can, can be lifting others up and building others up and, and collaborating. Humans were built to collaborate. We were, we were not built for competition. Now there's areas where competition is helpful but the mindset of competition constantly in your mind is not healthy, right? So let me ask you that, a question on that, because don't you think that it's biological that, that especially for men, that you are competitive? Because if we look at caveman kind of thing, I mean, you're fighting for your life, right? And oh, absolutely. So I, think like, brain, I think that's the brain, yeah, I think yeah. that's the reason it happens is, right, the, the brain is still in survival mode. It, the brain has elements that, that are definitely focused on survival, focused on, but I think, and I think there, there are places where competition absolutely helps us. Oh, absolutely. But, I do too. It makes but, everything it can make, I believe in the competitive because it makes us better. Right. It, and it, the yeah, advancement idea, but I think the idea that your brain, when you're, if you're just in comp, competition mode and you never shut that down, it, you know, you're ju- dumping adrenaline constantly and, and constantly, it's so much fear-based because the fear of losing, 
versus collaboration is is so much empowering and it can let go of fear. And so, right. yeah, I think we we have to have both, right? There has to yeah, be Yeah, this- that's why we need men and women because that we complement each other, right? We have those differences. So, so I just want to share with you one of my aha moments in mm-hmm. um, putting together this program because you remember I said I spent three decades with men, I think and act like a man. Mm-hmm. And that man, I never talked to women. I would never tell them what I know about business and this kind of thing. I was trained in the patriarchal model, which teaches us to get to the top. Like I want to be at the top of the hill here. And that means getting into that power and money position. And it means taking care of myself and taking care of my family and, you know, making sure my little world is good. Right. And it's all about me. And so what I recognized was, number one, if I'm going to train women and I didn't train, I didn't uh, trust women in business because I'd been stabbed in the back along the way in my own career. And that's happened for lots of women. You can that's a pretty common thing. So I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to train women, first of all, I have to be willing to break the secret code, right? I'm going to have to tell them everything I know about what it's, you know, how do men think? How does this work in the boardroom? I can't do half of it. I have to do, I'm not, that's not me. I do 150% if I'm going to do it. So that's one thing. The other thing is how am I going to stand in front of a room of women that typically I would never even talk to? I never belong to women's groups ever because they can't get me anywhere, right? I have this mindset of women are not as good as men. I'm just saying it, I'm calling myself out on it. How am I gonna stand in front of this room and teach them if if I have a fear that somebody's gonna stab me in the back? So Michelle Ashby, myself, I had to go through some personal growth myself and figure this out. So I did a lot of research, did a lot of reading, on you know feminism, the feminine movement since the 60s, the patriarchal model, all this kind of stuff. And what I realized was, wait a second, I have to accept the fact that if I stand in front of these women, that I, uh, number one, I'm gonna share everything. I'm gonna be an open book. I, there isn't anything that's not like closed, okay? Because that's in, in being in my truth and being authentic and also being, you, you talk about God, I always am, you know, I look at myself as whatever is meant for them is I use me as the voice. OK, so I may or may not know what I'm going to say. I have a, obviously some great structure curriculum and stuff. And at the same time, there's a there's a there's a part of me that is just ad hoc, whatever comes up and I let it go and I don't judge it. Right. The other thing is that some women may stab me in the back at some point and I just have to get over that and go for it anyway. Go for it anyway. So what happened was the transformation of going from what I say, going from me to the huge difference. It's, you know, I could get myself on three or four boards. That's where I was headed. My male mentors climbed the corporate ladder, got on three or four boards. They're making six figures. They got stock options. They're playing golf. They're skiing. They're set. Their families are set. That's where I was headed before I took this diversion and decided I'm going to go teach women what I know. And what I recognize is I can get on three or four boards, but I'm not going to move that needle. 20% is going to stay at 20%. If I teach a thousand women and do everything I can to help them get on boards, maybe I can move that needle closer Mm. to that 50%. And that, that is way more important to me now than doing it just for myself. And it's enjoyable. It's fulfilling. It's exciting. And I just, I love it. Well, and, and now you've gotten to a place where even if you got stabbed in the back, it just doesn't matter. No. Cause, cause now, now you've got, it, it doesn't matter, right? You get knocked down a rung, huh? got to put another rung back up and, and, and climb back up there. But, and that's the crazy thing, right? Is we're, we're fear-based about getting stabbed in the back versus, and, and, and doing everything to avoid getting stabbed in the back rather than taking the action that leads to the success that we want without worrying about that negative side and without worrying about what could yeah. happen. Yeah. It's so much more empowering. And now you're empowering other women to do the same thing. And yeah. now none of them have to worry about stabbing anyone in the back because they're all figuring out how to do it and empower each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much better. Mm-hmm. So much better. Mm-hmm. 
men need that too, obviously, right? Because we've all been taught the same corporate ladder and you got to grab that guy by the foot and yank him down. And, and, and then we choose, you know, manipulation and negative things to, to ruin somebody because we got to crush him so that we can, you know, take his rung and, and it doesn't have to happen that way. Right. But the corporate models kind of created that monster, right? That's an unintended consequence of the way that that they've been built. Oh, have you seen that? Um, I saw a great article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about by a, one of the um, journalists who wrote a book about Jack Welsh and the mm, model yeah. that he put in place and how it's created this. I mean, it's it's all about what you're talking about right. every year. And, and there, they, now the debate is, is was he great or was he terrible? Right. Because <laughs> right? yeah. he, he revolutionized the corporate structure, but who did he revolutionize it in a good way? And I think part of the shift that's happening, um, obviously the stock market in the 80s, 70s shifted the power, right? So the the, the stockholders started pulling power and then the stockholders and the CEO kind of have these two power structures. But now there's this recognition that, wait a minute, our customers still matter because if our customers quit buying our stuff, then it doesn't matter what the CEO and the stockholders are doing. And now there's a piece that's that's saying, wait, how we treat our employees matters because that they're the ones that are dealing with our customers. And so I think it's finally coming. It's going to shift back to a place where, where companies have to recognize we've got to take care of all the stakeholders, all the stakeholders. Yeah. We've got to take care of the employees. We've got to take mm-hmm. care of the customers. And you know what? The stockholders, they've got to trust us <laughs> as a board or as a CEO to, to take care of, Mm-hmm. And, and and it's the power is shifting to the employees a little bit now. I don't know what you know this current economy is going to do to that because you know we went from six months ago more job openings than we've had in years to now who knows how many jobs are going away. Um, but but the reality still is going to be companies that are going to succeed are going to last are companies that are going to take care of their people, mm-hmm. and that includes their employees, their frontline workers taking care of their customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's we're in a very unique uh, place in history, frankly, mm. you know, I because I study markets, I'm totally interested. I'm a total nerd about all this stuff. So I'm constantly, you know, watching it and the future of work and the way that things are going in the future, because if we just think about the, the world in the terms of what we've always known, we're going to be left in the dirt with um, artificial intelligence, with um, all web three meta, you know, I don't know if you guys have had conversations with any of your guests in regards to the metaverse and all that kind of stuff. When you think of that in terms of that, I, I look at it from my own business standpoint and I'm thinking, um, it would be a benefit to me to hire an artificial intelligence company, an AI firm to come in and start recording me, everything I say, everything I write, every time I teach all that kind of stuff, create my avatar. And I can teach into my hundreds if I have an avatar that can do that for me. And you, you can relate to this because you have training and, you know, how, what's our runway? Is my work going to be done when I'm done? Maybe not, but can I extend that, you know, into a longer runway by bringing in an avatar versus trying to train someone else to be me or train what I'm doing and losing the essence of it? Right. It's, oh, it's it's very interesting to think about stuff like that. We use we use AI. I used AI to write my first book. I used AI. I'm using oh. AI to, to create posts on LinkedIn. Um, so I use AI pretty regularly to create content and and posts. And cool. It's very powerful. And cool. And I'm gonna have to get some information from you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's it's pretty incredible and and super helpful, right? Because as a solopreneur creating content, you know, I just signed up for a new AI. I interviewed Alex Berman and he started a company um, that creates LinkedIn posts using AI. And then you edit them or modify them and, and schedule them. And it just starts popping them up based on your schedule. Um, but they're all personalized to you and your expectations. And, and, and the more you adjust them and use them, the more it, it mimics what you want. And wow. so, yeah, it's incredible. And do 10 minutes for a month, a month's worth of content. 10 minutes of work creates a month's worth of content. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. See what yeah. I mean? I think that stuff is fascinating to me. Oh, absolutely. And it's and it's going to 
it's going to help. You know, I, I spoke with the owner of our McDonald's chains around one of them that owns at one point, I think he had 17 stores and, and cool. uh, he's down to eight and, and everybody talked about all the, the self checkout and the self ordering. And, yeah. and, and he said, we're actually employing more people to produce more because the ordering systems are becoming more and more efficient. And so we're getting more orders in and now they're taking mobile orders. They've got a kiosk taking orders. They still have an employee taking orders. And of course they still have two drive-thrus taking orders. And so they're taking orders at five different places all at the same time. And that doesn't include DoorDash and all those other places. And so now their employees, it's all focused on productivity and, and the kitchen renovation necessary to meet that productivity level. And, and, everybody else is caught up on, well, they're taking jobs away because they put the little kiosk up and now they don't have a human being taking an order. No, but they've got three human beings making hamburgers to match the orders that are being taken by all the technology. And of course, you know, they have an app and, and, and of course, I think this last two years blew that up because we, we yeah. wanted to eliminate human contact and they were ready. McDonald's was ready and Chipotle was ready. And all of these, of course, DoorDash and all those people were ready and, and blew up over the last two years wow. because, because they were innovators, right? They were mm -hmm. willing to look at, and I think recognizing the role technology can play and the things technology can do not to replace a human <laughs> to do for a human that doesn't want to do it because nobody wants to do that boring, bad job. And then, and then allow humans to do the other jobs that they do want to do. And it's kind of like entrepreneurs, you have to decide what's your wheelhouse? What is it you're really good at? And then you need to be outsourcing and hiring and, and doing other things to do those jobs that you're terrible at and you hate doing anyway. And then guess what? They don't get done because you don't want to do them. Right. But if you yeah. outsource them and you hire them, then, then your company can start to grow. And, and so many entrepreneurs in those early stages feel like they can't hire and feel like they can't grow and, and hold themselves back from put their huge potential because they're stuck doing half their work outside their wheelhouse. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Huge Absolutely. fan of, yeah. <laughs> of all that. All right. Let's talk about the big dream. And, and you've got a big dream. So you've already, I mean, you've already mentioned it. Yeah. Times, I want to make sure we get it back out there. Michelle, what's the big dream? Yeah. So my dream is to change the world and get 50% women in the boardroom, in mm. the corporate boardrooms in North America. That's where the highest paid jobs are. And this is really where the world looks to for, for leadership and also to support as many women as possible to get in CEO roles. Because although we have 20% women in corporate boards, we have um, six to 7% of Fortune 500 or female CEOs. If your name is David, Michael, or John, you have more of a chance of being a CEO of a big company than if you're a woman. So that's pretty pathetic in my mind. And I really want to support that. I, I, I say I want to be the Gloria Steinem of getting women on boards. I want to get on all of the major TV shows. I want to be interviewed by the Wall Street Journal. I want to be the voice and the, and the motivation uh, on, a, on an ongoing basis into the future and making sure that we keep this message going and that we keep working on it. And I'm not patient. I'm not going to wait 50 years because I don't have that long, probably. And so I'm like not wasting any time. I can tell you where I'm at. On my, on my number. So let me just break that down for you. As of today, we have 137 women who are certified. I have a board certification, by the way, first board certification in the entire country in the USA. Started in 2018 with an affiliate company called Corporate Directors International. So we have 137 women who are certified to be uh, board candidates, um, board members, and they have filled 77 corporate board seats, everything from small private companies to the Pinterest and the Gap and in, and in between public and private companies. So 30 different sectors that we've got backgrounds. Six women have become CEOs of companies. Three new companies have been formed by women who've gone through my course. So if you take that from a thousand, it gives you, you know, I've got over 800 to go, except I have a primer series on my website that I put up so that people could go in and get their board resume and they, to learn about a board interview. It's a little mini boot camp that you can do. Well, over 500 women have done that. Two men uh, have taken it. So we have about 515 people there. So if you add that on to my 100 and, uh, 137, now we're talking about mm, a much bigger number, right? 
So now I'm in the 300s that I have left. And I just launched yesterday um, a new online certification course that people can sign up and get their certification um, because my uh, my my training programs that I do live, I only take 12 women at a time and I only teach three times a year. So at that rate, I'm going to, I'm not getting my numbers in as fast as I want to. So I am ramping it up as, as fast as I can, very high quality and my lady, and it works. These ladies are getting on boards. It's great. Michelle, I love it. I love what you're doing. I love how you're serving. And so thank you for making an impact and changing the world because that's, that's what we're supposed to do. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and, and the opportunity to get to know you really. Um, and I hope that this has been valuable and that your, your listeners will get something out of our conversation today. Well, I got a ton of value. So not to disregard my listeners at all, but I can be selfish in this and appreciate the show too. So thank you so much for sharing and thank you for taking the time today. And it was amazing. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Joe Applebaum and Robert talk digital marketing. Joe is an expert marketer who specializes in LinkedIn and Google and shares about the power of networking and making connections. He trains others how to find success in their life and business, even while being a father of five.